Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in the listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touch-tone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Trinitha, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect workshop, Helping Children and Teens Understand When a Parent or Loved One Has Cancer. And this is such an important topic, I know, for many of you on the call today, and I'm delighted that you have all chosen to spend the next hour with us to learn more about really how some of the tips and things that might be helpful to you. Today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations, and it really is because of that collaboration that we have been able to reach so many of you on the call today. Now, we have on the call today over 1,000 participants, so you're a very large group, a very, very large group of people, and you are from all over the United States, from all different regions and states of the United States, and different uh, locales in terms of uh, large cities and smaller cities and uh, suburban and uh, both rural and frontier communities as well. We also have international participants from Australia, Canada, India, Jamaica, Korea, Malaysia, Nigeria, Switzerland, Turkey, the Philippines, Venezuela, and the United Arab Emirates, and the United Kingdom. So you really come from all over the world. And um, I would like to say that this program was made possible by an educational grant from Genentech Bio-Oncology, and really want to thank them for their support of our program today. I would like to turn your attention for a moment to the materials that you received from Cancer Care. In those materials, there is information about our speakers and the topics we're going to be covering, and there also is information about all the different collaborating organizations and resource information about them. There are um, 800 numbers and websites as well. And there also is an evaluation form, and I would ask you to take a moment at the end of today's program and complete that evaluation form. Who but each of you can best tell us the topics you want us to offer going forward? Indeed, this particular topic is one that many of you have requested that we offer, and I would like to offer it more often throughout the year. So please tell us if this topic is one that's useful to you and if you would like us to offer it more often, and we'll do our very best to offer this program um, again and, and uh, with your recommendations. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker, Dr. Paula Rausch. Dr. Rausch is director of the Marjorie E. Korf Pact Parenting at a Challenging Time Program at Massachusetts General Hospital. She also is chief child psychiatry consultation liaison service, Massachusetts General Hospital, and also associate professor of psychiatry, Harvard Medical School. And Dr. Rausch is going to present an overview of talking with children and teens about cancer and common questions kids ask. She's really going to set the stage for our program today, and I am really honored to have Dr. Rausch with us today, and I'm going to turn the program over to Dr. Rausch. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here talking about this important topic. You know, I so often hear from parents that their very first thought after the shock of receiving a diagnosis of cancer is how worried they feel about their much-loved children. With the many, many years that we've been working with families in which a parent faces cancer, what I've learned is that well-loved and well-supported children, the ones who are included in important conversations with their parents, really continue to be emotionally healthy and secure during their parents' treatment and well beyond. Even 
you know, even when sadly things don't go as we hope and a parent passes away, their children can go on to have productive and emotionally healthy lives. So the number one thing I want to say to you is just how impressed I am with how resilient children are. I'm assuming that if you're listening to this teleconference, um, then you or somebody you love is living with cancer and that there are children involved. And I, I want to start by telling you that you're not alone. There are close to 3 million children in America who live with a parent who is a cancer survivor. That, that includes people who are newly diagnosed, some who have been in active treatment for a while, many who are long into survivorship, and more and more there are children in families where the parent is already a cancer survivor before the child is born. It's important with so many children um, living in this circumstance for us to really focus on what supports their resiliency or their good coping and um, really what supports the coping for children and teens who are facing a parent uh, a parent's cancer care is really the same things that support them when they face any other challenge. Um, they need to feel connected with caring adults, adults who really listen to them and adults who respect their you know, individual perspective on the experience they're all living through. In, in our program, the Parenting in a Challenging Time program, or PACT, um, we've learned that really the best approach to helping children is to have parents and experts working together as partners. Um, parents know their children best, and um, when I talk about parents here, I just want to say that I mean all of those of you who are acting as parental figures. I, I'm not excluding other loving adults. I mean guardians and grandparents and aunts and uncles, um, whoever's caring for a child like day to day and have known them for a long time. And if, you know, if you're one of those other wonderful, loving adults in a lucky child's life, then when I'm saying parent, I really mean you too. So with this sense, parents know their children best, and experts like the clinicians on our team and on this panel um, don't know your child as well as you do, but what we do know is about child development, emotional health, and how children at different ages face the challenges of a parent's medical illness. And we are wanting to learn about your child's age and stage of development, um, about your child's temperament, how have they reacted to things in the past, because this helps us to start to think about the ways to help your child feel secure during all the changes and disruptions and transitions that typically accompany cancer care. And it, it, it may really feel like your, um, your cancer or your loved one's cancer is way, way bigger than any other challenge that your family or your child has faced. But when you think about how your child has faced littler challenges, littler situations like a family move or an illness in the family, maybe even a new babysitter starting school or having visits from family or friends, um, all of this is useful information because it, it reminds you how your child has reacted to um, changes in the past and it will help to guide you about how to best keep things going in the most supportive way for your child um, through the situations that you're facing with cancer care. We think about three major areas that um, support your child's best coping. One is maintaining your child's normal schedules and routines. Um, kids depend on that day-to-day -day regular routine in order to feel like things are steady and familiar and not topsy-turvy, especially when there are changes that accompany cancer care. Um, it's really helpful to have that routine continuing and being supportive in that way. It's important that um, families think about important family times, the times when they can really connect with their child, and it varies depending on the age of your child, but it could be dinner time, it could be bedtime, it could be weekend time, it could be Friday night dinners or Sunday going to church. 
And then the third thing, and the one that you'll hear um, as a theme from each of us, is how important honest, open communication is. And when I'm talking about communication, it's as much about listening as it is about talking. All the research suggests that that's um, the single most important thing that supports children and teens doing well when a parent has cancer. Um, when kids hear directly and teens hear directly from their parents about the parent having cancer and are helped to ask their real questions, this is really when they are better to manage, best able to manage. Um, it's understandable why so often parents will imagine that it could be protective to hide the cancer diagnosis from a child because they think it's too scary. But actually how it goes is that when, when parents keep it a secret, their children feel excluded and unimportant. You know, why am I not important enough to be talked to? You're talking to the neighbor. You're talking to my aunt. You know, did you forget about me? are the kinds of things kids are thinking. Um, and it can leave kids getting their information by overhearing it and so being confused and, and mistrustful. And none of us want our children um, to feel like they can't trust us. Um, before I get to the specific common questions, um, I think most important is to think about how you create the environment in your family that really encourages your child to ask um, his or her questions, whatever those questions are. And, and broadly, we think about it as like always wel welcoming all of your child's questions um, with warmth, not just questions about cancer. If your child is curious why some donuts have sprinkles and others have that gooey stuff inside, that's a good question to wonder about with your child and respond to positively. Gee, you ask really good questions. I love to hear your ideas. When your child asks you questions, you want to try to figure out what's the real question that got your child thinking about this. You know, what got you wondering about that? Hmm, help me to be sure to understand what you're really curious about or worrying about um, before I try to answer it. Another way is to ask your child to repeat back to you how they would explain this situation to a friend so you can hear how they're thinking about what you've told them. Um, you're also likely to notice that there are times when um, your child is most likely to ask you questions or to have good con conversations, and you may want to protect those special times when things are hectic around uh, your cancer care. So what are some common questions in, in a general way? First, kids are likely to ask something about what's changed here or what's going on, and finding out from your child what they've noticed or overheard is a good place to start. Then you can connect what your child has really noticed um, with, in fact, what's been going on with your workup, with your treatment, or with conversations you've been having with other friends and family. Next, they're likely to ask, like, what's wrong with mom or what's wrong with dad? That's the time when you have the chance to name the cancer and, and call it cancer so that your child recognizes that you're not living with something um, uh, that is just sick or a lump. These are euphemisms that are confusing to kids because it leaves them feeling like they could have an ear infection and have cancer or they could have a bump and have some from a fall and have it be as serious as your situation. It, it's just good to remind ourselves that no one copes better when they feel confused or left out, not grown-ups and not kids or teens. Then children are likely to wonder what exactly cancer is. That may be the time when you hear about um, other people in the family or other people they've known that have cancer. And um, you're going to hear about all kinds of great resources um, that are age-appropriate and can help to guide how you want to talk about cancer with your child. Um, and that will depend some on the age of your child. But when your child is old enough to talk, that's a good time um, to use the real word cancer. With young kids, I like the analogy of thinking about healthy cells um, as being like flowers and cancer cells as weeds. Then the treatment is pulling up weeds is um, like having surgery, and weed spray is like chemotherapy or radiation. 
with older kids, there are all kinds of great resources um, through um, a variety of different uh, agencies, and you'll hear more about them. The next set of questions is kind of the specific questions that kids ask about how this will affect them directly. Um, who's going to tuck me in bed at bedtime? Who's going to drive me to soccer? Um, who's going to pick me up from the bus? Um, if grandma and grandpa are living here, whose room are they sleeping in? Are we still going to go on summer vacation? All the very specific things that affect your child's um, routines and experience. The, the fifth question um, is usually the one that parents are most fearful of, and it comes, or the fear of it coming really isn't associated with how serious your cancer is. Um, it's just the worry. The question is, are you going to die? And it's a, it's a big topic. You'll hear about our website where we go into this in detail and also have a whole chapter in the book, Raising an Emotionally Healthy Child When a Parent is sick. But like all questions, if your child asks, are you going to die, you want to start by asking him or her um, what got them wondering about that. You want to be sure you're not leaving them alone with the worry and you need to understand it. If you have every reason to believe that you're going to be living for a long time, you'll want to say that to your child. Gee, I really don't think I'm going to die from the cancer. My doctors think that the treatment that I'm getting will take away the cancer and keep it away and I'm planning to live for a long time. Uh, if you're living with a recurrence and continuing to do well, but um, recognizing that the cancer is still part of your day-to-day -day life, you, want, you might want to say something like, well, some people do die from cancer, but right now my doctors are focused on keeping my cancer as small as possible and in as few places as possible. So all the healthy parts of my body stay healthy. If anything changes, we'll let you know. The most important part of that is the if anything changes, we'll let you know. If you or your loved one is approaching the end of life or discontinuing treatment, this is a complicated conversation, and I don't want to shortchange it here in a few minutes. So you probably want to have a conversation with members of your healthcare team. Um, but often people will um, say things like, well, the doctors don't have treatment yet that will stop my cancer from going, growing, and doing more treatment um, will just make me sicker, and it won't stop the cancer from growing. And that's not what I want. Um, and then they will often, um, if there's a sense um, of a period of time during which they don't want their child to worry, they might say, you know, I'm not worried that, that anything is going to happen to me in the next week or the next month or the next few months. If anything changes, I'll let you know. And often parents want to find a way of balancing the unknowable, and a lot is unknowable, along with hope. And so they'll, um, and they also don't want to leave their child feeling like it's the child's job to keep track of additional treatments. So they'll say things like, my doctors are still watching to see if something new gets discovered that would be helpful for me. Or um, my doctors are worried, but I still feel um, like I could be really, really lucky and live a long time. And some parents talk about hoping for a miracle. Um, that's a quick uh, stop-off point, but I, I really want to end on the more positive um, note of just saying again how impressed I am with how well children and teens really do cope with a parent's cancer um, when they're included in the conversations and when their unique experiences are heard and their perspectives are valued by parents and other loving and adults. And to thank you for all the wonderful things that you do for the kids that you care about. Thank you very much, Dr. Rash. It's wonderful, wonderful presentation and just very comprehensive very informative and encyclopedic, and also making some very complicated ideas so much more understandable for everybody and some really good tips. So thank you so much. And I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you. 
Our next speaker is uh, Dr. Lori Weiner. Dr. Weiner is co-director, Behavioral Science Corps, Section Head, Psychosocial Support and Research Program, Pediatric Oncology Branch, National Cancer Institute, and NIH. And uh, Dr. Weiner is going to address how to tell your kids and how do kids respond. Dr. Weiner. Thank you, Karen. Good afternoon. As Dr. Rausch so eloquently described, I too hear from most parents that the very first thought after receiving a diagnosis of cancer is worry about their children. How will they handle this? How should I tell them? What should I tell them? And when and who should tell them? The most important message I hope you take away from today is that open communication and honesty are essential. Many parents stress about the exact words to use when they talk to their children about their diagnosis or treatment, but the words are really less important than the fact that the parent just takes the time to both sit down and talk to their child and to listen. The goal is to pave a road so that open communication can be established and maintained both ways. And being honest doesn't necessarily mean telling them everything, especially in areas that the child isn't ready to hear. What it means is not telling a lie. Another important message to take home is that parents know their child better than anyone else, and you can hear this consistently. So while you may receive a lot of advice over time, solicited and not solicited, including from today, you as parents know your child best, and this includes how or she reacts to difficult situations and conversations. So let's begin with the questions of when to talk to your child. Parents need to find a balance between not just blurting out, oh, my God, I have cancer, to not waiting until after the child learns, either overhearing a conversation or notices that the parent is wearing a wig. And if possible, children should be told as soon as changes are happening in the home that could affect them. Who should talk to the child? If possible, both parent or a parent and another familiar trusted adult can tell the child about the illness together. Since it could be very difficult to initiate this conversation, many parents have found that writing down what you want to say beforehand can be helpful in case they get stuck. Some parents also like to practice what they're going to say with someone before they sit down with their children. Where should you talk to your child? A familiar or comfortable setting where there's not a lot of distractions is always best. Having a place where it's easy to give hugs or hold the child is important. Here again, you know your child better than anyone else and know where they would be most comfortable. Next, what to say. While we'll be reviewing differences based on the child's age and experiences, there are certain things that we've learned should be included in this first conversation. The fact that the parent is ill, that a name is given to what the parent has, and it's good to use the word cancer or a word that they will be hearing from others. That cancer is not contagious that they did not do anything to cause their mom or dad to get sick. To the, best of their, um, to the best of their parents' understanding, what's going to happen next, and that if anything changes, they would be told. So let's start by talking about the very young child. Infants and toddlers, they don't have the capacity to understand that a parent has been diagnosed with a specific illness, yet they're very sensitive to changes in routine. For example, if mommy always gets her son out of bed in the morning and all of a sudden she's not at home or able to care for him, this will likely cause her son some distress. When schedules and routines are altered, the young child may become more irritable. Sleep patterns may change. They may appear clingier. The sooner that new routines can be established, the better. Finding caregivers that can help the parent maintain a consistent schedule with the same daily routines will provide the very young child with the greatest comfort. So while you can't tell a very young child what is going, what's going on with you like you can an older child, 
in very important ways, parents can work to make sure that their world remains as warm and secure as possible in the midst of this crisis. For the preschoolers, and we're talking approximately ages three to six, they have a wonderful imagination and they experience most things in terms of how it affects him or her directly. They also come up with their own logic for why certain things happen. And the combination of their imagination and their own logic is referred to as magical thinking. Therefore, to respond to this way of thinking, explanation should be simple enough for the child to understand with less details than an older child needs, couched in a matter-of-fact but very loving way. For example, mommy has something called lung cancer, and the doctor is going to be giving me some special medicines to help me get better. Children also do best when the focus is on the immediate future. Mommy will have to stay in the hospital for a few days to get this special medicine. I feel fine right now. Or on the days I get the medicine, Daddy will be with me and Grandma will be here with you. Just letting them know what will be happening next makes it easier. Many children this age can hear information better through play, and some people have found it helpful to use a picture or a doll to show them where in the body the tumor may be. And when the child seems to have absorbed as much as he or she can, it's helpful to stop and to see if there's any questions. Once the child seems to understand that the parent has an illness and will need some special medicine, the parent can then build on the words that we use during this conversation during later conversations. For example, remember when I told you that the doctor will be giving me some medicine? The name of that medicine is chemotherapy, for example. Or sometimes when people take chemotherapy, they lose the hair and they could have days where they don't feel very well. Again, just building on information the child has already heard and is now familiar with is often better than giving too much information up front. So how might the preschool child respond to this information? When changes are made in routine or apparent availability, the child may exhibit some regressive behavior, some bedwetting, thumb-sucking, withdrawal, getting up during the night. It's not uncommon. It could be a response to stress. Some children may worry that they're sick themselves. And if the parent notices a change in the child's behavior, they could acknowledge it in a supportive way so the child doesn't feel embarrassed by it. For example, when they're coming into the parent's bed during the night, maybe a way for the child just to make sure that their mom and dad is still there. The parents can gently bring the child back to his or her room and let them know everything is okay and that mommy and daddy will let them know if there are any changes. If regressive or concerning behaviors continue, the parent may want to talk to their pediatrician or a counselor, and you'll be hearing more about this later. So for the elementary school child, and think of ages 7 to 12 approximately, this is an age of vigorous inquiry, and the parent needs to be prepared for a lot of answering a lot of questions. Whereas the preschool child may not be able to connect facts with emotions, the school-age child begins using words to express many feelings. And children of this age may know of other parents who have been treated for cancer and will immediately associate the experience they've heard about to what will happen with their parent. Therefore, like the younger child, it's important to have them repeat back to you what they've heard so that any misconceptions can be clarified. It's also important to remind the child that they didn't do anything wrong that caused their mom or dad to get sick. For example, no matter how many times you may have said to yourself that you don't like me or you hate me or so-and-so's mommy is nicer than me and you wish you that she was your mommy, none of those have caused me to have cancer. Changes in routine can also be difficult for this age group, and preparing in advance carpools or who will be at home with the child can be helpful, along with having a calendar where the child can visually see who will be at the house on a specific day. 
It's also helpful to let the school know of changes at home so they could be sensitive to any changes in the child's behavior, mood, interaction with peers, concentration, or quality of their schoolwork. Because keeping things private when one has a school-aged child can be difficult as children are likely to repeat what they've been told to other people, including classmates and teachers. So it's good for the school to have the most accurate facts. And while it's also helpful to prepare the child for days where the parent may not be able to do some of the things they used to do or they may be less emotionally available, it's equally important to encourage the child to share their thoughts and fears and even their angry feelings. Letting the child know that their parent will love them no matter what they think, say, or do, or even question. Comments like, I'm so glad that you told me what's bothering you. Now I can understand your feelings. If you keep your feelings a secret, I can't try and make things better. Some kids open up just even reading a book together, and a book about cancer may allow them to be able to identify some of the concerns in the book or concerns that are unique to them. So how might the school-aged child respond to all of this? If there are many changes in the routine, the child may wish to stay home. They may start complaining about some of the symptoms that led the parent to their diagnosis, such as belly aches, pain, headaches, or fatigue, and gently explaining that cancer is not contagious and that they do not have cancer like mommy or daddy is usually comforting for the school-aged child. Words such as, it is not fair, should also be anticipated. That bad things just happen sometimes and it's nobody's fault is a hard lesson even for adults. And this leads me to adolescence. Most adolescents have the ability to understand the immediate and potential future consequences of the parent's cancer diagnosis. Chances are some of the schoolmates might also have had a parent with cancer or know of a classmate whose parent died of cancer. In our media swift society, most teens tend to go to the Internet and seek information about their parent's type of cancer. Similar to adults, some will want to read everything they can, while others will avoid learning information that can be distressing. Therefore, parents could use more medical words and details with teens. And it's okay and important for the parent to say, I don't know yet when answers are not available. This is an age where we might see a teen vacillate between wanting to do everything they can to help a parent to resenting the fact that their own life could be negatively impacted by the illness. They could act unsympathetic or without a lack of understanding of why their parent's illness needs to change things. Some parents have said their, first, their teen's first response is, are you going to be okay? And then soon after, are we still going to take Jack to the beach with us this summer? Or what does this mean for my travel games? Or does this mean I can't apply to colleges out of state? And particularly for children of parents with limited financial resources, what will we do if you can't work? Will we have enough money? Having teens who are more preoccupied by how a parent's illness will affect their own social schedule rather than how their, teen is, their parent is physically or emotionally doing can be frustrating. Teens struggle to find their own identity and a place of belonging amongst their peers, and they might feel embarrassed by being different or having a parent with no hair, for example. Yet many times this attitude or anger is hiding tremendous fearfulness about your illness. So keeping lines of communication open is especially important at this age. Older children and adolescents may keep their feelings to themselves or prefer to talk to peers. If the, pe if the te teen is not comfortable talking with his or her parents, finding someone outside of the home that they can trust can be very useful. Also respecting their coping style. The teen might need to hear it's okay to go to their away soccer games or to keep that summer job at the beach. Words such as, I promise to let you know if things change, gives them permission to still be a kid and also know that they'll be included in major changes or events. 
We tend to get concerned when the adolescents lose interest and withdraw from things they once found enjoyable. If this persists, outside help may be indicated. So for all ages, the medical facts about the cancer and the treatment are easier to discuss than the emotional side of all of this. It's okay for a parent to ask a child if they're scared. It's okay to ask if they're worried. It is more important for a child to know that it's okay to be scared or worried, and talking about these fears won't make their fears come true. It's also okay to ask if they're angry and to let the child know that angry thoughts are normal and sharing these angry thoughts can't hurt their parent or make them sicker. Some children will keep their thoughts to themselves for fear of upsetting their parents. By a parent sharing that they too get scared and worried, gives the child permission to express their own deepest concern. And for any group, any age, open and honest communication can help families not get, not only get through these difficult days, but to thrive and grow as a family. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Weiner, for an excellent presentation and really so very informative and really helpful in terms of the different ages of children, what, how best to respond and and, and some really helpful tips. So I know there'll be great questions for you during the Q&A as well. Thank you. Our next speaker is Dr. Cindy Moore. Dr. Moore is the Marjorie E. Korf Pact um, Parenting at a Challenging Time program. She's a Massachusetts General Hospital. She's a clinical instructor in psychiatry, Harvard Medical School. And Dr. Moore is going to address basic needs of kids whose parent has cancer and tools to help kids and teens cope. Dr. Moore? Thank you. It's so good to be here and to um, be able to talk to everyone. Um, both Drs. Rausch and Wiener did a really thorough job of addressing the primary need of children dealing with an ill parent, which I think is open and honest communication. So when I think about um, basic needs of, of children whose parent has cancer, I'm going to focus on some, some other areas. Um, and I think one of the first needs is to have a well-informed support system. So think about where your child spends time outside of home, at school, um, at sports, at church. Usually kids do pretty well in these settings and are able to focus on whatever's going on. But sometimes something will make a child upset. Um, maybe reading a book in school about a child who's lost a parent. That can come up. Or something in a biology class where cancer is addressed. So it's helpful to think about who the child could feel comfortable going to in those situations. And when talking to the adults who might be in a position to support your child, it will help for them to know the basics about your medical situation and the kind of support you'd like for your child. Um, if a child does get upset outside of home for some reason, it can be reassuring for them to know that at least one adult understands what's going on without the child having to explain it all. And kids who worry about getting upset in a public place may feel more comfortable if they have a plan for what to do if that happened. Something like, um, you know, my teacher and I agreed that if I get upset in class, I'll tell my teacher that I need to see the guidance counselor, and then I'll go to the guidance counselor's office, and I'll be able to calm down there without my friends watching. Kids can usually help you by telling the kinds of support they would and would not want. Um, they're all different from each other in terms of what feels like support, what feels like people being nosy, and what feels like people are ignoring how they're feeling. Um, in my experience, most kids don't seem to want a lot of people checking in with them about how their parent is doing or how they are doing. Kids are usually more comfortable when school and activities feel normal to them, and they aren't treated differently than anyone else. But as I said, all kids are different, and some of you may have a child who would actually love to have a teacher check in every day with them, would love that extra attention. So here's where knowing your own child best is really important. 
And if you're the parent of a teenager, you might be thinking that your teen would not in a million years want you to call and tell all their teachers about a cancer diagnosis. And you're probably right about that. So it's worth talking to your children about who they would want um, to share information with and to let them have a say in the process. And that brings me to the second thing that I think um, kids need when a parent has cancer, which is control and choices. Um, any family dealing with a challenging illness knows that life can really easily feel out of control. And children are affected by this loss of control just as adults are. And one of the ways um, to help everyone feel just hopeful about the future is to look for the parts of life you can control and can make choices about. Um, for your children, that might be the decisions about the day-to-day -day routine. So you may decide that it's important to tell someone at the school about the cancer, but your child might be able to choose which adult will be told. Or you may need to ask your children to help out a little bit more around the house, but they could have a say in which new chore would be the least annoying to them. You might ask your kids, are there things you wish you had more choice about? It's not possible to let kids make all their own choices, but if parents pay attention and try to give choices about things that, that really matter to children, it does make it easier for kids to manage the times when parents can't be flexible. A third thing that children need is a sense of security, uh, the confidence that even with changes, their important needs will still be met. And a sense of security is built with predictability and preparation for changes and information. So Drs. Rausch and Wiener talked about how having a predictable schedule and routine is helpful to children of all ages. And I'm adding that predictable rules and expectations can also help kids feel secure. For example, it's usually a good idea to assume that kids will be able to manage their usual tasks, like homework and keeping their rooms clean and feeding the dog, about as well as they always could, um, rather than dropping most of your expectations. There may be days here and there where you know, what you expect will have to change, but overall, having routines and expectations be consistent and predictable seems to help kids feel secure. And as you all are probably experiencing, there's a lot about life with cancer that just isn't predictable and consistent. So sometimes you just have to do the best you can to prepare your children for the changes that happen when you can, and that can still help give them a sense of security. So that might include talking about an upcoming surgery and making plans for you know, visits to the hospital, or talking about the kinds of things you might not be able to do with your child during chemotherapy, and then making a, you know, some choices about what you can do together instead. So um, another aspect of what kids need um, when they have a parent who's ill is a sense of normalcy. Kids need to feel that the family has an identity outside of cancer. In other words, that life isn't just all cancer all the time. Um, adults need that too. And it can help to, to try to protect some cancer-free family time. In other words, time for just the family when cancer isn't front and center. So the focus could be in activities that are typical you know, for your family to really enjoy together. Um, this can be harder to pull off than it sounds, and, and some of you may have experienced this. Just like couples with a new baby may struggle to have date nights, you know, which sounds good in theory, I think families dealing with cancer can find it hard to save time to relax together. Another way to help keep life feeling normal for children is for parents to continue to show interest in, in your child's activities and experiences. 
So even when it's harder to actually do the same things together, kids usually appreciate having parents check in about their lives, how the audition for the school musical went, or how um, some conflict with a friend has worked out. And this too, I think this point may sound sort of obvious, but it can be surprisingly hard to remember to ask children about the details of their lives when your own life is so complicated by really difficult issues. Children also need um, reasonable expectations. I mentioned earlier that predictable expectations can help give children a sense of security. And here I'm thinking more about what the expectations actually are and trying to find the right balance between setting them too high or too low. And I find that um, expectations which are too high seem to come up most often for parents of teenagers who will often describe feeling disappointed by the fact that their kids aren't stepping up to the plate and helping out as much as is needed. And I think from the parent's point of view, life is more stressful and everyone needs to do more to help out, including teens. But from the teenager's point of view, life is more stressful, and to deal with that stress, they need lots of time with friends or lots of time on the computer or focused on school or other activities. Sometimes parents get a little um, further with requests for help if they build gradually on things that teenagers have already been used to doing. For example, if um, a teenager had already been doing some of her own laundry, you might be able to ask her to add another load or two a week pretty easily. But trying to get an adolescent to start doing laundry at all could be much harder. And it's helpful as well to ask teenagers what they think is reasonable for them to help with so they have some choice and control over how they're spending their time. Um, one other way I think about keeping expectations reasonable is that sometimes children worry that they are somehow responsible for a parent's health. And Dr. Wiener talked about this too. Um, they may believe that they did something to cause a parent's cancer or that if they behave in a certain way, a parent will stay sick. Sometimes parents can say things um, without meaning to that add to children's worry about this. Um, like, I can't get better if you continue to fight with your sister like that. Um, even though kids, and teenagers especially, sometimes do things that are really stressful for parents and do make it hard to rest and focus on treatment, it's one thing to say, you're making me sick with worry. I can't get better if you keep causing me so much stress. And another to say, worrying about you is exhausting. And finally, I think that children need plenty of patience and appreciation for their unique ways of coping. Um, so support that one child finds helpful, another child might find unbearable. Um, try to remember how your child has dealt with stress or disappointment before cancer and what helped and what didn't help. You might remember that your son usually needs a few days to think about things before he's ready to talk very much, but that if you give him that space, he comes up with some really thoughtful questions. Or you might recall how your daughter gets really bossy when she's anxious, and then you might give a look think of some ideas for things that she can be in charge of. And sometimes an illness like cancer offers unexpected opportunities for kids to learn new skills. They may become more empathic or better able to ask others for help or better able to focus on one thing only and block out everything else. And these are, um, there are lots of skills that help kids to cope with uncertainty and with changes in the family. And it's good for kids to know that there's no one right way to manage things. So thinking about tools that can help children and adolescents cope with a parent's illness, 
um, as a group, I think we've been talking about some of the interpersonal tools that help children cope. There are other kinds of tools worth thinking about as well that can help with some of the specific challenges of dealing with cancer. Um, some families find that books are useful, and Dr. Wiener had talked about those. And I, I think, too, technology can be a really incredible tool for families. Um, there are websites that allow you to post requests for help in a calendar format, and then people on your list can sign up to do certain tasks, like bringing a meal or providing a ride. Um, and um, I think that there's examples of that in the materials that you have all been sent. But something like that can save a lot of time in organizing a group of people who want to help your family but don't know what you need. Um, another way technology can be a great tool is helping families feel connected even when they're not together physically. So families can use um, video phones or computers with web cameras to talk with each other and see each other when one person is in the hospital or away from home for treatment. Um, we often suggest parents use digital cameras to stay in touch with younger children who may not be able to come into the hospital every day. Someone could take a picture of the parent in the hospital, maybe waving at the child or blowing a kiss, and then bring the camera home to show the child, and then take a picture of the child to bring back to the parent. And a camera can also help to prepare a younger child for what the hospital room might look like um, before a visit. And then finally, websites can be helpful to families. Um, our program, the PACT program, has a website um, which you're going to get information about, um, but you can just Google us at Mass General PACT program. And um, also Cancer Care has a really wonderful website um, that is going to be discussed as well. Well, I want to thank you very much, Dr. Moore, for a very compassionate um, presentation and for just providing so many tools and so much uh, practical information to our audience in terms of how to approach, um, uh, you know, talking with with, uh, with their children. So, thank you so much. Very helpful. Very very important. Thank you. Um, our next speaker is Kathy Nugent. Um, Kathy Nugent is an oncology social worker. She's director of social service, Cancer Care of New Jersey. And Kathy's going to talk about the free support services that you can access from Cancer Care. Kathy? Thank you, Carolyn, and thank you to everyone for participating in today's Connect workshop. I would like to speak briefly about the services that Cancer Care offers to families. The diagnosis of cancer to a parent or loved one can be devastating for a family and certainly can rock a child or teen's world. As mentioned throughout the program today, kids worry about who will take care of them, did they do anything to cause the cancer, and is it contagious? Children and teens who are coping with cancer in their family have special needs and concerns. They need to be reassured that all feelings are okay and that it is okay to be a child. Cancer Care has programs to help the family cope with cancer. The Cancer Care programs for kids are all part of the free professional services provided by Cancer Care, but focuses on the particular needs of children and parents. Cancer Care offers practical support, education, and advice to parents, and also counseling to children and teens to help them understand cancer. Families who live near one of the Cancer Care offices may also participate in one of our therapeutic events, which teach children and parents how to talk to each other about cancer. The cancer experience often leaves us feeling all alone, and at Cancer Care, people can gain emotional support, insight, and reassurance by participating in free telephone and online support groups. Cancer Care offers these support groups to people with cancer, their families and friends, caregivers, survivors, and the bereaved. All of our support programs are moderated by professional oncology social workers. 
Cancer Care Connect booklets contain frequently asked questions, a glossary of photos, and illustrations. They are based on our Connect Education workshops, like the one you're listening to today. The booklet, Helping Children When a Family Member Has Cancer, can be ordered from our website or downloaded free of charge. You can also download the Cancer Care Fact Sheet, Helping Children Understand Cancer, Talking to Your Kids About Your Diagnosis, from our website. The cancer experience can be an economical burden to families as well. Financial assistance is available from Cancer Care. Cancer Care can help reduce the costs associated with transportation to and from treatment, home care, child care, and reimbursement for pain medications. In addition, a Cancer Care social worker can point you to other resources in your community that may offer financial assistance. More information about all of the services at Cancer Care can be found on our website at www.cancercare.org. Or you can call and speak to one of our professionally trained oncology social workers by calling 1-800-HELPLINE at 1-800-813-HOPE. I would just like to remind everyone that kids are incredibly resilient and can cope if we are simply honest with them. It's okay to tell kids what's really going on. To quote Mr. Fred Rogers from Mr. Fred, from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, whatever is human is mentionable. Whatever is mentionable is manageable. In closing, I would just like to take a moment to address self-care for the adult whether you are the parent, the grandparent, the guardian, or another relative caring for your child or teen. It's very important to take care of yourself, to take time out from the cancer, and make sure that you find time to do self-care activities so that you can be emotionally and physically available to your child. I would like to share a passage from the book, When a Parent is Seriously Ill, Practical Tips for Helping Parents and Children, by Collins and Nathan. Think of it this way. Each time you board an airplane, you're informed that in the event of an emergency, you should provide yourself with oxygen before attempting to help your children. When faced with a serious illness, you need to be able to care for yourself first in order to care for your children. Cancer Care can help you find ways to do just that. Thank you. Thank you very much, Kathy. Wonderful presentation, um, very caring, and a lot of wonderful resources for everybody on the phone. Thank you. And now we have time for questions. We have lots of time for questions. I'm going to ask Trinita to explain to all of you how to queue up for questions. I'm going to ask her to bring all of our speakers on board, and um, we're going to start the questions. Trinita, could you explain to everybody how to queue up for, and ask a question? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then one, on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered, or if you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Our first question is from Phyllis L. Your question, please. Uh, the, the question I have is, um, especially in teens, do you see, I think for Dr. Rausch, do you see um, feelings of uh, stress or unable to cope with um, new things in their life? surfacing at a later time after um, treatment. Um, I've gone through three recurrence uh, and treatments, um, and it seems to be, I don't know if this is what is causing her stress or if that's something that's ever come up before. 
That's an excellent question, Phyllis. Thank you. And I'm going to ask Dr. Rash to address that question. It is a, it's a, it's a wonderful question, one that comes up often. Um, it's very hard to know what are all the things that come together um, that make a moment in time for us at any age um, where we just feel more overwhelmed. Um, there's some sense that it's easier to deal with one stress and when when the family gets disrupted more than one time. So um, families that may cope really well with the initial diagnosis, a child may later on feel more stressed the next time that um, their cancer is sort of back in the family again, or it may be more of a function of the age that a child is. Um, teenagers in general um, feel their feelings intensely. All of our new studies of neuroimaging um, demonstrate that grown-ups um, think through the parts of their brain where common sense and judgment are found, and teenagers think through the emotional sections of their brain, and so um, they feel their feelings really intensely. And it may be that um, your, uh, the treatment for your cancer is um, now in a cumulative way problematic for your daughter or son or um, more um, just because of the age that they are. In any event, when you feel like things are not going so well, either in the conversation you can have with your own child, difficulty your child's having at school or difficulty with friends, that's a time um, to think about who can you get help from. So whether there's cancer in the picture or not in the picture, if a child is having a hard time, especially in two of the three arenas, home, school, um, and with friends, then that's really a time um, to get some input from a professional. Thank you very much. And, and actually, there's a, another question that came in um, from one of our online participants, and it's very similar to Phyllis, your, to your question, Phyllis, is how do I know if my child needs more support? I'm going to ask, uh, again, uh, Dr. Amore to just address that in a little more detail as well. Um, yeah, I think that is a frequent question, too. And um, building on what Dr. Rouse shared, we do think about um, the areas that children function in. So we think about, you know, what they're like at home with parents, with siblings, um, what they're like at school in terms of being able to um, complete homework and concentrate during the day, um, and what they're like with friends. And um, if kids are having difficulty um, over a period of a number of weeks in two or more of those areas, then that is usually kind of a red flag for us, suggesting that maybe they're having um, you know, some difficulty in that, and it's worth exploring what, what else may be helpful to them. Excellent. And um, also um, another question from one of our online participants is, um, how do I organize all of those people who want to help out, and how do I do that? I'm, I'm going to ask um, Dr. Rausch if you would address that. So um, we often talk about um, having a captain of kindnesses. So somebody, um, uh, Cindy made, Dr. Moore made reference to um, some of the websites that can organize the well-wishers. But um, you also can have a person. It might be um, mom's best friend. It might be a neighbor. It might be a family member. But when you run into people on the street or at um, school activities who say, oh, I would really love to be helpful, being able to say, well, that, you know, 
rather than saying, well, gee, could you drive my daughter to gymnastics on Tuesday, or um, we really need someone to be at the house when the plumber comes Monday at 4, um, it, it's easier to say, well, Mary Smith has been organizing. People have been wonderful. And then um, that way the person that wants to be helpful can be guided to doing things that, that would be helpful. And an example of that, we hear often from from. Uh, children, especially, especially children kind of elementary school and middle school, that even when parents like to have the well-wishers come to the house or to bring that meal, that they really want their family time to be a bit more private. Kids vary, but um, having um, the person leave the meal um, outside your apartment or leave it in a cooler on your front steps rather than having people continue to come in and disrupt your um, your family time is another way to sort of think about how can you get that help, but in a way that doesn't feel to your child like your child's time is being occupied. Particularly um, when grown-ups come um, to see grown-ups, when you're sick and feeling fatigued and crummy, um, when another adult comes, you feel like you have to kind of rally, um, um, pull yourself up, smile, um, be kind of upbeat. When that other adult leaves, your children can often feel like um, you go back to being sort of your limp, exhausted self and everybody else is getting um, their parent at his or her best. So. Um, Engaging that captain of kindness as somebody to organize the well-wishers is often um, very helpful. And thinking about the ways to um, have the help be helpful but not intrusive on important family time. Thank you. And our next question? Thank you. Our next question is from Patty B. Your question, please. Hi. Uh, I had a question. I'm in a position of or was in the position of being a caregiver for a five and a seven-year-old who lost their mom uh, to breast cancer. They are now uh, 13 and 17, um, both of whom seem to be having some residual things, you know, around that loss. And I was wondering if cancer care or uh, PACT or uh, is there available information that sort of after the fact is helpful as to maybe drawing questions out that didn't come Back then, um, I'm a family member as well, and I was just wondering, you That's know, how question. that plays in after. That's an excellent question, Patty, and I definitely um, Cancer Care does offer resources and help. Um, you actually can call our 1-800-813-HOPE number, speak with one of our oncology social workers to really help um, with really um, getting support um, for yourself and for the children that you're caregiving for. But this is not uncommon. This happens frequently and certainly. Um, and I want to, Kathy, if you wanted to add anything. Yeah, I would say, the you know, by calling one of our social workers, um, the social worker certainly can give you some tips, but also we are um, – familiar with the resources in the community, so we may be able to direct you to some resources in your community to help you address some of the needs of the, of the children. And we do see typically that kids, um, after the loss of their parent or a loved one, um, it's a little bit of a delayed reaction. They certainly do grieve very differently than adults, so it's not surprising that you would see reactions to a loss of a parent years down the line. I would just um, would just add that it's important that people recognize it's not because anybody did anything wrong back then. That mm -hmm. um, when a loved one's been lost, particularly a parent, kids re-experience that differently as they go through different phases of development, and so. Um, 
sometimes people are um, looking for the ways to prevent a child from having a harder time downstream. And, and the kinds of things about open communication um, during the time of a challenge help to build um, positive relationships with caring adults. But um, that doesn't mean that a child won't continue to have experiences with that loss and to need to have those experiences addressed anew at each phase of development. And it's not because anybody did anything wrong. That's so important what Dr. Rausch has just said, and I hope that that's something that really um, will resonate for each of you on the call to realize that this is a, um, over time and, and all of these services are available. Also, PACT also is a resource as well, their website, so there's a lot of information out there. We will be sending all of you some additional information after the program today as well. I want to thank all of our speakers. They've really been phenomenal. It's just an extraordinary call. And I want to thank all of you who've asked such amazing questions so that we could further elaborate on these very important points. I do want to remind you this is a one-hour program. If we did not get to your question, please call Cancer Care at the end of the call, and our staff will help you to, with the question and with resources that you might need as well. Um, most importantly, um, I want to remind all of you that although this program is about to end, um, this workshop, the services that you can access from Cancer Care and from all of the resources that you have in your materials, those are endless. Those, those resources continue. And I just want to, again, focus on the services you can access from Cancer Care. We have a staff of 60 Masters Level Trained Oncology Social Workers, and we are here to provide a host of services, and those services are all free from practical to financial assistance to counseling and support. Um, and we do that counseling on the telephone and online. We do support groups as well. We have lots of materials. And indeed, we're going to send some of you some of the materials and fact sheets so that you can just have some follow-up materials as well. Um, and of course, um, we do a lot of these workshops that you may also find useful. But most importantly, as we conclude the program, I, nor do any of the planners want you to feel, or any of our speakers want you to feel that you're alone in coping um, with, with uh, trying to help your children understand um, cancer in the family. We want you to now feel that you're part of a community of support and that there are lots of resources out there for you and to please take advantage of them. Again, you can call Cancer Care at 1-800-813-HOPE. Our staff are very good at helping you with the services we can provide and also linking you to services that you might need. And I think as Dr. Rausch pointed out so eloquently, and many of our speakers as well, these, um, some of these issues go on over time, and so that it's okay that there are different issues that surface at different times and that you know that there's a resource for you to turn to and to ask for help very important for all of you. So again, and I also want to remind all of you to take very good care of yourselves as well as the adults who are trying to attend to children. So I want to thank you all for participating today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect.